redoing the deck on our house, and, and I'm still hopeful to get that done, but um, it, it really needs power washed and stained and all that, and I'm, it, it, instead of a summer project, we may turn it into a fall project, but um, Matt and Kathy Nussbaum are, and their family are not here today. They're getting one last week of vacation in in Colorado this week, so they're gone. Um, we hope that um, they'll be back. Actually, uh, Tim Woodcock will be speaking next week. Matt will be back, but Tim from Genesis Church uh, will be here. So let me have a prayer, and then we'll get into our teaching time today. Hey, God, thank you so much for your goodness, and uh, over the next 25, 30 minutes, I pray that you would empower me just to be your mouthpiece as we open up your word, and we look at how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and um, may we all open our hearts to your conviction and to allow you to speak truth into us and to help us to become the people that you've designed us and created us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we're going to continue this series on the Holy Spirit that Matt has started uh, for the month of July. But Matt has kind of spent his time talking more about the supernatural parts of the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to be a little more practical. But let me tell you a little bit about my childhood growing up. Something that shaped my childhood uh, growing up was this character called Bigfoot. All right, so if you grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, it was all about Bigfoot. Now, now today there's been a little bit of resurgence of uh, Bigfoot, but this is the picture that I remember that somebody took of Bigfoot. And when I was about 10 years old, I mean, I would lay in bed at night thinking, like, is there really a Bigfoot? And uh, when I would be in the woods with my friends and we would be playing, we would be looking, I think I saw a Bigfoot over there. And we would look for uh, what prints, you know, and, and there was this whole big thing about Bigfoot. We didn't know what we were going to do if we ever saw a Bigfoot because, you know, they were supposed to be about 15 foot tall and, you know, they could snap the head off of a grizzly bear. But we, there was this whole thing about Bigfoot. There were actually library books in my elementary school about Bigfoot and they would have television specials on TV about Bigfoot. And so this whole big thing about Bigfoot was out there. And I just remember as a kid just wondering about Bigfoot. Now, I tell you that story because I'm going to compare Bigfoot to the Holy Spirit today. And I know that's far, uh, kind of a stretch, and I'm probably the only pastor to make that connection. But, but listen to me for a second. When I grew up in the church where I grew up, Bigfoot and the Holy Spirit were kind of similar in some ways. Okay, And this is how I grew up. No one really, we didn't really know anyone that had seen Bigfoot, just like we didn't really know anyone in the church where I grew up that had seen the Holy Spirit. It was kind of this mysterious thing that you had heard stories about the Holy Spirit, and there had been people that had said things that had happened about the Holy Spirit, but in the church where I grew up, it was kind of like, yeah, but we're still kind of skeptical about that whole Holy Spirit thing. We're not real sure, kind of like not sure if Bigfoot really exists or not. We're not really sure about this Holy Spirit thing. So it was kind of this sequestered, mysterious thing in the Holy Spirit. And that's just the church that I grew up in. Now, it was always like, um, my experience growing up was kind of like the Holy Spirit was the stepchild of the Trinity. Okay, that's, that's the best way I can explain it. It was, there was God the Father, and everyone was like, yeah, we're in for God the Father, you know. He's the big guy upstairs. We're, we're all in for that. Then it was Jesus, the Son of God, yes, died on the cross,
having all kinds of mic problems today. So, so God the Father, Son of God, but then it was the Holy Spirit. It was like, Holy Spirit, yeah, we, we're not real sure about the Holy Spirit. We're not really talk about it a whole lot because if we do, you know, then we're afraid, like, people really, like, we've heard crazy stories. And so the, my, my experience growing up was this, the Holy Spirit was kind of the stepchild of the Trinity, which when I read in Scripture, that's not really the case. That's just kind of my experience as a, a child growing up. And so as Matt has talked about the last three or four weeks, some of the more supernatural uh, the ways the Holy Spirit works in our life, today I just want to get really practical. And today we're going to look at three different evidences of the Holy Spirit in the life of someone who follows Jesus. Now, they're not the only three. They're just three, because if we did the whole list, then you can only listen to me for 30 minutes, and then you guys are going to be asleep, and you want to have lunch this afternoon, so we're going to get you out of here on time. So we're just going to hit three of them today, okay? Three evidences of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see this quote. It's from a book called Jesus Manifesto, and here's what it says. Jesus didn't die just to take you out of hell and into heaven. He died to take himself out of heaven and live in you. The living in you is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that the Holy Spirit actually resides in us, not in a building, not in, in a book, not mysteriously up there, but in us. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, then it's safe to say there should be evidence of that in our lives. There should be byproducts of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And so today we're just going to examine three very practical evidences of that. The first one is this. When the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you can expect spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are what the New Testament refers to as different qualities, abilities that God has enabled and given to you to be used for the kingdom of God and so that he would be glorified. And so we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to be jumping around a lot, but the verses will be up on the screen. This is what we read there. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So we've been given gifts when the Holy Spirit lives in our, our lives to be used for the kingdom of God. And we all have different gifts, not the same, different gifts. All of us are different. We all have unique personalities, all unique giftedness. And so it's not that we're supposed to be jealous of anyone else's gift, an ability that they have, but God has given us abilities. And they are the things that, are, that should be natural to us because God has created them with, for us specifically. Now, Rick Warren is a pastor in Orange County, California, and I like what he says about spiritual gifts. This is a quote. God shaped you for a purpose and expects you to make the most of what you've been given. He doesn't want you to worry about or covet abilities that you don't have. Instead, he wants you to focus on talents he has given you to use. Now, two mistakes we often make with with spiritual gifts is one, not using the gifts that God has given us. We, we kind of squander them. We, we, just, we, we may have them, but we don't use them. We, we just kind of keep them to ourselves. We're just interested in other things. It kind of reminds me, when I was in youth ministry, right after college, I worked outside of a church in Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, there was a friend of a kid in our youth group who had a friend at high school, and as a sophomore, he was six foot seven. And he was ranked the the number one sophomore in the state of Kentucky. And so we used to have these 
games. I was in much better shape than when, when I was 21. We would play at the high school. So we would play and play and play and play. And this kid was phenomenal. He could do things that you just cannot teach people to do. He could jump out of the gym. He had all this potential. His junior year, he was still ranked the number one basketball player in Kentucky for his class. His senior year, he got into some trouble. Um, was kicked off the basketball team back and forth on and on and then didn't graduate from high school, never went on to do anything with basketball, never went on to college. And I always remember looking at that kid and I'm thinking he had so much potential. He was just walking God-given potential on the basketball court and I look at him and like he kind of squandered it. You know, he didn't use it to help him get an education. He didn't use it to help him, you know, get a little further in life to help him or his family. He didn't use it. He just really kind of squandered it and threw it all away. But the same is true for us at times with our spiritual gifts if we're not using them. God has given them to us. And though it may not be as evident as as basketball ability, God has given you gifts, talents that are to be used to glorify the kingdom of God and, and to pour into things that are eternal. The second mistake we make with spiritual gifts sometimes is that um, we serve God outside of our giftedness. We wish that we could do something that we're really not good at, and so we try to do that. And, and instead of it being very natural to us, we end up doing things that are really not that natural to us. I went to a, a small church, I said, when I was right after college, and one of the things we used to do in our little small church was have special music every single Sunday. Now, some of you, if you grew up in church, maybe you had a church where they did that. So one person would have this solo where they would sing in front of everyone else, and we would just sit there and watch. I decided that I wanted to do that, okay? So I don't know how that came of me, but I decided I wanted to do it. And I had this Stephen Curse Chapman song that I just thought it was amazing that everyone should, should have, and I did it. And it didn't go very well, okay? Um, I, I had people that kind of told me, that's not your thing, Dan. Okay, I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right, that's not my thing. Uh, n- note that, note to self, don't try to sing. So I'm not going to sing for you this morning. But many times... We, we try to serve in ways that aren't really our giftedness. So Jeremy Page can get up here and sing and play guitar. He's great at it. He's natural at it. He, he does it. Me, that's not my thing. So when we, we use our spiritual gifts, God's given us abilities to find your ability and use the ability that God has given us. And one of the best ways to, to do that, I think, is, is to think of the things that are natural to you and ask someone close to you, for their, for their advice. I find that, that many times if you ask someone close to you, someone else that's a, a believer, like, well, what are the things that I'm, I'm good at? What are the things that God can use me to, to do? Because we all like to watch the first four weeks of American Idol. You know what I'm talking about? The first four weeks of American Idol, when they have people on national television that stand up in front of everyone and just can't sing at all. You know, you know, and that's like, that's the best television. That's the part about American Idol that I want to watch is when those people get up and they're just horrible. Now, but you think about, just think about that for a second. How did they get to that point? Okay, their mom, their dad, their sister, their girlfriend, their, no one around them said, dude, you can't sing, okay? No one, no one told the truth to them, all right? So they're, they're living in this world of thinking they're the next Mariah Carey when in reality, they're not even close. And so they put that on television and we all watch it and, and are entertained by it. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, ask someone around you. Uh, this 
past week, I had a conversation with um, my son's basketball coach at Taylor University, and he was telling me about a young man that, that he knows that he said, you know, I, I, think, I think he has a calling to go into full-time ministry. And he was telling me about it, and, and I, I, I know the young man that he's talking about, and I was like, you know, I do. I see that. I, I see what you're talking about. I see that in him. And so we were having this conversation about how he sees this gift in this young man and how it's going to be carried out. And so one of the things when we look for our spiritual gifts, when we're trying to figure them out, is ask someone that we know. Ask someone close to you to be really honest about what things you're good at naturally. Because when you see someone that uses their spiritual gift, it's like watching Michael Phelps swim. It's just, it's just natural. It's just beautiful. It's like listening to Barbara Streisand sing. It's like listening to Steve Jobs give a motivational speech. It's just what they were created to do. God created you with unique talents and abilities. And when the Holy Spirit is working in your lives, you will be using those gifts, talents, and abilities for the kingdom. So that's the first evidence. Second evidence, outwardly focused faith. So first is spiritual gifts. Second, outwardly focused faith. Our faith and our following of Jesus should not happen in a silo. It should not happen just to ourselves. It should not happen just in our own little world, on an island, all by ourselves. No one else knows about it. So in, in here, give me a show of hands. How many of you came to Exodus for the very first time because someone invited you? Raise your hand. Uh, which is a lot of you. Okay. Which is most of our stories. Someone invited us, told us about it. Be, because the invitation is, is huge when someone invites you. And God designed us to follow Jesus and to have an outwardly focused faith, not inwardly focused. But the natural tendency for us as human beings is to take our faith and internalize it. It's just kind of natural. It's natural for us. It's natural for churches. It's natural for organizations to kind of focus intrinsically on ourselves, our needs, the things that we like, the things we don't like. And it's just a natural tendency. But when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, we should be focusing our faith outwardly. Here's an anonymous quote. The church is mostly about If the church is mostly about us and what we prefer, it's likely we haven't brought anyone in a while. Because when we invite other people, when we we focus our our faith externally, we start seeing things differently. You know, it's not about my needs or I like that song or I don't like this song or I don't know why the temperature's this or all these different things. When, When we start having our faith external, outwardly focused, we see things differently because we see them as other people. We want other people to be involved. And let me give you a very simple strategy that, that um, works for an outwardly focused faith. Just two words. Well, it has an and in the middle. Invite and invest. If you can remember that. Invite and invest. Invite people to be part of your journey with God. Invite them to church. Invite them to your small group. Invite them with when you serve. Invite them to things. And then invest in them. And that strategy comes right out of Scripture, comes right out of John chapter 1. We find in John chapter 1, Jesus was calling disciples to come and follow him. He was calling people to come and follow him. And, and he's, he's doing that, and he's calling these men. And one of the questions that they ask him, they're a little skeptical about this carpenter from Nazareth. And they're like, well, where are you staying, Jesus? And in John 1, 39, this is what Jesus says to them when they don't know about whether they should follow him or not. He says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him and it was about four in the afternoon. So Jesus said, just, just come, just, 
come follow me, come hang out. And uh, he invited them, and they invested in them. And then later on in the story, it, it says that he called Philip and Nathaniel. And Philip was excited about following Jesus, and he went to his brother Nathaniel to tell Nathaniel about it. And this is what we see in John 1, 46. Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, if you see that verse, just take out the word Nazareth and put in whatever town you made fun of when you were growing up, okay? Because everyone had a town that they made fun of growing up. Nick and I grew up in the same town, and so we, we would say Boonville. Anything good come out of Boonville? I mean, that was just, you know, what we said growing up. So put that in there. So Nathaniel's like, this carpenter from Nazareth? And look at what Philip said to him. Come and see for yourself. You know, Philip didn't say, okay, let me answer all your questions, all right? I want to answer all your questions. Okay, how did God flood the earth? Was it a literal seven days or not? How come evil exists in the world? And like all those questions we, we think about with people that we're going to talk to, they're, they're going to have all these questions, and we're, how are we going to answer the question? No, the best thing is to invite them and to invest in them and say, you know what, that is a good question, and we can look up the answer. We can try to figure out the answer. I may not even have the answer, but... Don't let, just because they have questions, don't let that keep you from inviting and investing in them. And my wife is probably one of the best people at doing that that I know, inviting people and investing people. She always sees new people that way. In fact, whenever this room, she looks out and sees this room, she sees the people that she doesn't know, a face that she doesn't recognize. She immediately talks to them. She immediately invites them. Wherever we're out in the community, she always is inviting people to her Bible study, to come and serve somewhere with her to come to church. So you invite and you invest. And by doing that, it helps the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and have an outwardly focused faith. So let's go to the third evidence. Intentional generosity. Jason spoke about that a little bit, that when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, there should be intentional generosity. And, and, and all the things that we have, our checking account, our credit card statements, all of those our house, our garage, all that stuff that we have really does not belong to us, but really all belongs to God, and God has made us a steward of it. So let's look at one passage in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We're going to unpack it, then I'll give us a little application before we are done this morning. This is what we read in Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now let's stop right there, because a lot of us read that and go, okay, well that verse doesn't apply to me. Because I'm not wealthy. Okay, I know people who are wealthy. I've seen houses of people that are wealthy. I've seen people drive cars who are wealthy. But that's, I'm not wealthy. Really interesting thing, hardly anyone considers themselves wealthy. Like, even the person who you think is wealthy, if you ask them, are you wealthy? They're like, well, no, I'm not wealthy. I mean, I know some people who are wealthy, but I'm not wealthy. No one really considers themselves wealthy. And yet, when we look at the rest of the world and the fact that we live in the United States, most of us would be considered wealthy. If I had to raise your hand, and how many of us threw away food this week? Okay, some of you threw away food, all right? Wealthy are, uh, poor people don't throw away food. I mean, uh, I've been to other places in the world where they don't throw away food. I mean, I've got stuff in uh, my refrigerator that's been there for like two weeks that needs to be thrown out. But poor people, really poor people don't throw food away. Uh, some of us have had Starbucks this week, right? Okay, I love Starbucks, not against Starbucks. But if we're drinking $4 cups of coffee and latte, 
it's really hard to say we're poor, okay? That's, it's probably not true. Um, a lot of us in here slept on a mattress and in air conditioning this week, okay? Really, really poor people don't sleep on mattresses with air conditioning. It doesn't work that way. Uh, a lot of us in here have houses for our automobiles. We call those garages, but it's really like a house for your automobile, Really poor people don't have houses for their automobiles, okay? That's a, that's a rich person's problem. So when, Paul, or when the writer of Proverbs is talking about honor the Lord with your wealth, our first thing is like, well, that doesn't apply to me. It really does apply to probably all of us in this room. The next part of the verse says, though, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruit of all of your crops. Now, first fruits is not a term that you and I use very often. You probably didn't go to the water cooler at work or see a roommate this week and say, hey dude, what are you doing with your first fruits, right? Because it just doesn't really come out of us. It's not a term that we talk about a lot. It's a term that in the Old Testament they completely knew what, what he was talking about. It was more of an agricultural-based economy, so whatever crop that they raised or whatever thing that they made or whatever they produced in the Old Testament, they were to take the first 10% of that and give that back to the house of worship. And so that's what that they did. It was their first 10%. Not like the leftover rotten part or the, the things that they made that weren't any good. That think, oh, give, No, the, God said, bring me the first 10%. So it, it, a modern day translation for us would be a 10% or a tithe of our income. Now, Jason kind of explained that a little bit, that really... We could argue that does it have to be 10%. Jesus didn't really ever say exactly all the time that it had to be 10%, but we could argue that Jesus said, no, you you give me everything. I mean, you give me your whole life. So my point is, if the Holy Spirit is evident in our life, there should be intentional generosity. Because if we're not being intentional about our generosity, then we're missing out on something. And here's the promise that we're missing out on, verse 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, after you do that, your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. God promises us, to those who are obedient and trust their finances back to God, that there will be blessings. That's God's rewards program. That there will be blessings to those who say, God, I will entrust that back to your work, to eternal things, and I'm willing to to turn that over to you. And many of you in this room, I know, do that. And so we are grateful for that. Now, I'm a part of a lot of rewards programs. You guys probably also too. I mean, everywhere you go, there's a rewards program, right? And um, everywhere you go, all, they're always asking for your little barcode, your little number to put in. And so, like, when I go to CVS or when I go to Walgreens, you know, it's all about the rewards program. I never get anything from the rewards program, so I don't know what the rewards are. But um, supposedly, um, there are these rewards. So, this past Thursday, I'm in Indianapolis, okay? I buy a candy bar and earplugs, very weird combination, I know. But a, a candy bar earplugs, I have to put my rewards number in. And here's what I get for my candy bar and my earplugs. A receipt. Like, and I'm thinking, isn't this, this is a lot of receipt for candy bar and earplugs, isn't it? I mean, it, it's all part of the rewards program. But, like, I don't know, I don't use any of this stuff. I don't get any of this stuff. All I get is a really, really long receipt. 
But God has a rewards program to those who are, who are obedient and gen- generous, and he calls those blessings. And I can tell you after 25 years of living by that, and, and Pam and I decided early on in our marriage that we were going to give 10% back to our house of worship, and because of that, I am far richer because of the money that I've turned over to God and entrusted to him and in his kingdom and eternal things than if I would have that money today. And when God talks about blessings, it's not that, you know, you're not going to win the lottery or everything in your life is going to go exactly as planned. That's not part of it. But I know personally that my life has been extremely blessed in trusting it to God by, by giving him a percentage and trying to be generous in what God has given. So evidences of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They are the fact that there are spiritual gifts, the fact that we are outwardly focused, and the fact that we are intentionally generous. Now, uh, about a month ago, I have a brother-in-law that bought a boat. And uh, instead of better than having a boat, it's great to have a brother-in-law who has a boat. Okay, that's even better. And so this is a picture not of the actual, this is not his boat. And obviously, I just got this off of Google, and it's snowing, which is not really boat weather at all. But uh, that, that's very similar. It's an 88 Sea Sprite. So he bought a boat that looks pretty much like that. And so he asks me if I will go out with him on Lake Monroe on his maiden voyage. And so he'd been working, shining it up, trying to uh, make it look nice. And so, you know, we're feeling really cool about going out two guys, going out on Lake Monroe and the maiden voyage on the boat. So we get it out there. And, you know, it's really funny when you're putting a boat in because everyone is always looking at everyone else's truck and trailer and boat and trying to, like, size themselves up to see if their truck is better and their boat's bigger and newer and or I don't know maybe that's just me it just feels like that that's always going on when you're putting a boat in everyone's trying to look the coolest with the best boat and the biggest and and all that so anyway we go out there with the 88 sea sprite so we weren't really uh causing anyone to really uh feel sorry for us or uh but but we go out there and so we are cruising in the boat we're going to Lake Monroe we're just going and then all of a sudden we're going like what is going on so we shut it off and my brother-in-law's flipping it up that this it's got an inboard motor so he's looking and checking things and so we do this for like 45 minutes you know trying to go trying not to go trying to go trying not to go and uh, so eventually what happens is we're about two miles away and we have to like idle pretty much all the way back to the boat ramp in the initial voyage of the boat which it took us about five minutes to get there it took us about 45 minutes to get back so we're just and it's really hard to look cool when you're just idling in a boat, you know, because everybody's flying by on jet skis and skiing and waving at you, and you're just kind of sitting there. Anyway, here's the point of the story. He finds out he has a fuel filter in the boat, and it was clogged with um, all these different particles that had come off of a gasket, and they had clogged it. So basically, the, the motor in the boat was being choked is being restricted of gas, and gas couldn't get through the fuel filter and into the engine. So any, so he's giving it all the gas, but the gas is not going because it's getting choked out. So here's my question. How do I choke or limit the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I, like a fuel filter that's clogged up, like a straw that's um, full of a spit wad, you know, you put in there. How do I, when the Holy Spirit is trying to work through my life, how do I 
choke or limit what God has doing, what God wants to do? Is it because I don't use my spiritual gifts? Because I, I don't find out what my spiritual gifts are. I don't use them. Is it because I focus my faith internally all on myself and, and I don't look at my faith outwardly? Is it because I won't trust God with a portion of my income? Because all three of those things will choke the Holy Spirit in our life. When the Holy Spirit is trying to work through us and we become the bottleneck, we become the point where we're like, eh, God, I, I kind of got this under control. I, I really don't need your help. Because I imagine a life, I imagine my life, if I'm really open to allowing God to, to work through my life in the way that he wants to, totally unrestricted, I'm like, Dan, you need to just open yourself up and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. I imagine a church where a couple hundred people allow the Holy Spirit to work through them. What could God accomplish through that? And imagine a town in Bloomington, Indiana, that's full of churches with people that are not choking out the Holy Spirit working in their lives. What could God do? That would be my prayers that we'd be those kind of people, that we would open ourselves up to allow God to work through us, to speak through us, and whatever the Holy Spirit guides us to do, we would be obedient to him. Let's pray together. Hey, Father, thank you for um, the fact that uh, you never give up on us. And though the Holy Spirit, I know in my life, uh, there are times when I choke it, restrict it, uh, don't listen, don't pay attention, do my own thing. I'm thankful for the mercy and the grace that we have uh, through Jesus, that you um, are patient with us, that you forgive us, and um, Father, you are God that's full of mercy. But I also ask that you would today uh, inspire us to be conduits of what you want to accomplish and, and not, not restrict, but be people that are open to allowing you to work, allowing you to move, allowing your Holy Spirit to, to do, and just trusting that as Father, we're just obedient to what it is that you've called us to do. And when, whenever we uh, have doubts or questions or think that maybe we're going to take back the reins because we know what we're doing, we would just say, no, I'm going to allow God to flow through me openly flow through me. And God, that is my prayer for all of us, that we would be conduits that you would openly flow through and that your Holy Spirit would speak, guide, and direct. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. Um, now we're going to enter a time of communion. Um, so communion is something, you know, we celebrate here at Exodus every week. Um, so it's, it's kind of a tradition for us. And, and I think there's a, there's a problem sometimes with those traditions. When you do them every week, it kind of just becomes routine and you don't really think about what you're doing. Um, you know, but I, I remember when I was growing up in church, one of the things that they, they used to say um, was do this in remembrance of me whenever you eat or drink, you know. So that was kind of the command whenever you're eating, whenever you're drinking, think about how Jesus came. Jesus came and lived among us. Jesus came and gave himself for us. And, and that's what we're remembering um, with, the, with the bread and with the grape juice. You know, it's not, it's a, it's a poor snack if that's all it is. If we're just coming up here and getting a snack, then that's not really what it's about. Um, it, it's our time to remember the work of Jesus um, in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's done for us. So, um, so think about that this morning, and let me pray for us, and, and then um, kind of the way, the way we do it here, there'll be people coming up, 
um, they'll be here and then at the two sides and, and just take the bread and dip it in the cup and then you can take it there or take it back to your seat um, and, and that's just kind of how we do it we don't dismiss by rows or anything and it can be a little chaotic but that's okay um, so just take this time and remember what Jesus has done for all of us um, Lord we thank you um, for the message that, that Dan brought this morning about the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we just pray, um, God, that during this time of communion, we can um, reflect on what you've done for us, Lord, what you gave to us, what you sacrificed um, so that we could have freedom, Lord. Um, we pray that you'd bless this time and um, help this to, to be a time of remembrance, Lord, where, again, it's not just a tradition or a routine that we're just following blindly, God, but um, it's our time to connect with you. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.